Home and Family Culture podcast, where I discuss how the attitudes, habits, traditions, roles, and expectations in our homes influence the hearts, minds, spirits, and bodies of our children and the nation. I'm Jody Chafee, and in this episode, I have interviewed Brad Wilcox. Brad Wilcox is an associate professor in the Department of Ancient Scripture at Brigham Young University. He received his bachelor's degree in elementary education from BYU and taught sixth grade in Provo School District before returning to BYU for a master's degree in teaching and learning. He received his PhD in curriculum and instruction with a focus in literacy from the University of Wyoming. He joined the faculty of BYU and spent many years in the teacher education department. He moved to ancient scripture in 2016. He is the author of the book, The Continuous Atonement, and the BYU devotional, His Grace is Sufficient. Brad grew up in Provo, Utah, except for childhood years spent in Ethiopia, Africa. He served a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in Chile, and later returned to that country to preside over the Chile-Santiago East Mission from 2003 to 2006. He and his family have also lived for a time in New Zealand and Spain, where he directed study abroad programs for Brigham Young University. Brad has served as a member of the Sunday School General Board. His research interests include all aspects of literacy, as well as gospel topics, and onomastics, the study of names. He and his wife, Debbie, have four children and six grandchildren. Reading, writing, teaching, and traveling are some of his favorite things. He loves peanut butter M&Ms and pepperoni pizza, but he realizes that doesn't sound too healthy, so he's really trying hard to learn to love salads. (laughs) So I enjoyed my discussion with Brad Wilcox. He is certainly um, a hero of mine. I love his talk um, about His Grace is Sufficient. It was definitely a life-changing, paradigm-shifting talk, and if you haven't listened to that, please click on the link in my show notes to go listen to that talk or read it and take notes and cross-reference. It's, it's an amazing talk. Um, so without further ado, here's my discussion with Brad Wilcox about family culture. I'm teaching, uh, I, I teach at BYU. I'm in the religion department now. I just moved over from education. Okay. So this year has been my first year teaching full-time in religion, and I've really enjoyed it. I've been teaching Book of Mormon. I've been doing a New Testament class and, uh, and really loving it. Uh-huh. I, I also work with a lot of programs like Time Out for Women, okay. Women's Conference, uh, I love, especially for youth and education yeah. week. So those are programs where I get to know a lot of people from across the country. And I, I just love meeting them and being able to share my testimony with them. Awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. So one of the first things, first questions I like to ask my, my guests are, um, what to you is family culture and how important is it? 
You know, it's funny. Debbie and I were just watching a show last night on TV, and I can't even remember what it was, but the one guy was telling the other guy, you know, he had been orphaned, and so he was saying how he was just felt so empty because he didn't have a family and felt like his parents hadn't wanted him. And then the other guy didn't know his parents either because he'd been in witness protection or whatever the show was. But I looked at Debbie and said, isn't it interesting that the the show is not LDS, these characters are not LDS, and yet there's just this need to belong. There's this need for family. It's a need to know who we are. It's a need to feel this connection that goes beyond acquaintance. And I'm just grateful for the church. Some people think, oh, well, we're family oriented because we're Mormon. Mm -hmm. I don't think so. I I think everyone is family oriented. And I just think the church recognizes that truth and magnifies that truth to tell us how important that is and to keep us focused on what's important. But I think it's a truth that everyone feels deep down. C.S. Lewis, when he writes, he always talks, he always starts with a moral compass. Uh He always says, well, if if there is no God, then how do you explain this moral compass inside of us that animals don't have? And I think in the same way, I would say, if God is not loving, and if, if we are not part of God's family, then how do you explain this family culture that is inborn in us? Yeah. Uh, some animals have it, penguins and such, but most animals don't have it. Uh-huh. They don't have any sense of family. And yet for us, it becomes the center of our existence and such a huge part of our happiness or our discouragement and frustration. Uh, This is one of those cases in which we are very dependent on others to, to fulfill us. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that, you know, like you said, I think that our families can either flourish or flounder based on what it is that we're doing to, to nourish and nurture our family culture. And, um, and it really comes back to that. It's like yes, we can either I feel agree. lost or we can feel hope and direction. And um, I just listened to a, a, a presentation today by Gordon Neufeld. Have you ever heard of his work? Yes, I've heard the name. Yeah, he talks about um, attachment theory and how we, um, our children flourish best when they're attached to their parents or those who are are obligated to raise them and rather than but what has become a problem is there that more and more kids are peer oriented and peer attached and so they lose that attachment to their parents and the the need to to be oriented by their parents and by their teachers you can see that in many ways i think you see that because of social media Uh, I think that expands the problem, but I also think you see it in a whole generation of immigrants 
who have grown up in this country speaking English and their parents don't. Oh, yeah. And so suddenly they are the ones who are driving and their parents are coming along for the ride right. rather than the parents staying in that, uh, that driver's seat. Right. And I think that creates its own share of problems as well. So, yeah, we have some struggles that we're dealing with in our society today. I read an article the other day that said one third, one in three of American children grow up with absolutely no contact with a father. Hmm. None. Wow. And that just terrifies me because, you know, the world can say that fathers are excess baggage. But I know from my own experiences with my own father and my father-in-law and the key roles that they've played in my development and in my life, I, I just know I would not be the person I am without those, those images of greatness in my mind and in my heart. And I, I feel for kids who are growing up without that. I think it affects their sexuality. I think it affects their sense of well-being. I think it affects their self-confidence. Mm -hmm. And I think it affects their choices. I think kids who are growing up in that kind of a situation uh, end up in much riskier behavior and yeah. end up making poor choices. And I'm not saying that a father's the answer to every every problem. And I'm not saying that a two-parent home is the answer to every problem because we live in a world where that's just not realistic. Uh, but I am saying that there is something to uh, a, a family and there's something to a traditional family. And some people are very eager to redefine that. Some people are very eager to draw the lines differently. Yeah. But I just think... Married couples are happier, healthier, and wealthier. Mm -hmm. And and families with a, a mom and a dad do fare better. Mm -hmm. Are they perfect? No, but they fare better than other situations. Now, is that a generalization? Uh, yeah, maybe there are there are exceptions. And in today's world, my hat's off to everybody who's struggling to raise yeah. a family as a single parent, mm -hmm. and my hat's off as a teacher, as an educator, my hat's off to every teacher who's reaching out to love these kids that are coming from some very difficult backgrounds. But the bottom line is, I think a lot of the quote failure that gets pinned on the schools is an extension of a family failure in our society but nobody wants to talk about that because that affects votes and nobody wants to be the one that doesn't get voted for yeah. but I, I i i always feel sad when education becomes the whipping boy when in reality i think sometimes we're just missing some of the things that families have traditionally done yeah 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 families Parents guiding their, their children to good habits, good attitudes, good behaviors, things like that. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, even, even something as simple as now in my field, I work with reading and literacy. And now there's a whole branch of literacy called phonemic awareness, awareness of sounds. Mm -hmm. And how is it taught? 
It's taught through nursery rhymes. It's taught through songs. It's taught through poems. It's taught through reading aloud to kids. It's taught through kids listening to conversations. It's taught through talking and jump rope jingles. Yeah. And <laughs> we teachers never even used to think about that yeah. because kids all came to school with that just built in Yeah, yeah. because of the way they were being raised. And now kids show up at school. They haven't had conversations. They haven't had songs and rhymes and poems. They haven't been read to. And so they're coming and they don't have enough awareness of sounds that then they can connect sounds to letters and then it's slowing their reading development. Oh, that's a school problem? Well, schools can always improve, but I think sometimes parents just aren't doing some of the things naturally that parents used to do. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's really fascinating. Things that, that normally, you know, you'd think that that's, that's a natural thing to want to read or those things that you think oh they'll teach it in school but at the same time no because those are things that we should be doing I, at, at home reading talking talking even just talking yeah. right to even help. something <laughs> as simple as uh, dinner conversation right but it's like to you just mentioned... turn off the TV and turn off the cell phones mm -hmm. long enough to have a dinner conversation yeah. I think that would solve a lot of problems in our country and yet the solution sounds so simple and it doesn't cost anything, so nobody believes it would really work. Yeah. Well, and it's it's interesting, like you say, like kids are speaking a different language. I don't even have to be from another country to speak a different language from their parents anymore. It seems like with with yeah, the, with the, the internet technology. and cell phones and and uh, yeah. and that's their that's a peer orientation thing where they're learning language from their peers rather than speaking to adults who speak who you know are speaking a more intellectual language and yes uh, and yeah that's um there's a really good book called the read aloud handbook and that one oh, talks about it. that's a great book about um yeah, yeah. Jim mm -hmm. yep talking about just the the language that your kids need to hear and even into their adolescence like keep reading to them <laughs> keep yeah. giving them keep having conversations and filling their well, minds with with great they language. say that uh, they say that in uh you know in 19 45 the average vocabulary of an American child was about 25,000 words today the average vocabulary of an American child is about 10 to 15,000 words uh -huh. we've dropped 10 to 15,000 words out of our vocabularies why yeah. well what's come on board since 1945 TV TV and yeah. from TV on people People aren't reading together anymore, where we used to hear vocabulary. Now we see it. We okay. see someone saunter into the room. We never hear the word saunter. saunter. <laughs> we just see someone saunter onto the television set. And so I think this it is a concern when we realize um, kind of what's getting lost from these simple practices that have been practices in the past that now we are we're uh, you know backing away from. So I guess not to sound too negative, but I guess we just need to make sure that we're we're uh, doing some of the things that our parents did with us and that our grandparents did with us, and that we're not letting 
Just because the kid wants to be engaged with the technology, it doesn't mean that he always needs to be engaged with the technology. Right. So how can parents uh, establish boundaries around the electronics and, and establish those rules and some discipline with their kids about limiting the technology? I think two things that can work really well is, one, I think it's a matter of timing you know, and making sure that there's some times when it's okay and some times when it's not okay. Dinner time being one of the times it's not okay. I think time limits can work. And I think that there's also things we can do together. Um, you know, my wife will sit with my grandson and they'll listen to Eensy Weensy Spider on the computer 50 billion times. And, uh, but they're sitting there together. She's not plunking him down in front of the computer screen and then going off to, and doing something else. Yeah. She's sitting with him as they're listening to Incy Wincy Spider for the 50 billionth time. Yeah. Um, but it, it's something they're doing together. And so I don't think technology uh, versus a hardback book is an issue as much as it's what we're doing together. If you're going to sit and watch a TV show, let's sit and watch it together. If you're going to sit and watch a Disney video, let's sit and watch it together instead of plunking kids down in front of the technology so that we can go do our thing. Yeah, absolutely. I used, I like to I also think, go ahead. Oh, I, I think it's good for parents to model, too. I, I remember my parents reading. I remember seeing them read. I remember seeing them write. I remember sitting with them while they read to us. I remember my dad reading scriptures to us in the morning while all my brothers and I were sitting there at the counter eating our breakfast cereal. And I remember my dad's voice reading scriptures to us. I, I, I was a, it was a powerful model that told me this is something that adults do. Yeah. And sometimes I'm afraid when we read, we read at night when the kids are in bed. Yeah. Or when we write, we sit down to write when the kids are at school. Yeah. And we've got to remember that they need to see a little of that modeled, just like driving a car. Absolutely. What kid's going to be interested in driving a car if he's never seen anybody drive? Mm -hmm. But he sees us model it, and because he sees us model it, then he's anxious to engage in it. He's anxious to learn it. Yeah, yeah. That, my daughter will sit down next to me, and she's only seven, and she, she's not really good at writing yet, but she likes to sit down if I'm writing in my journal, and she'll write there next, sit down in the, next to me. And I also like to play audio books and, you know, things like that with oh, my yeah. technology, you know. <laughs> we, audio books in the car? That's wonderful, especially when you're on longer trips. Just letting those kids listen to some of those audiobooks, it's great. It's even better than just putting on a movie in the car because my kids get a really bad attitude <laughs> when we've been driving and I, we, as soon as it's time to turn it off, oh, I don't want to turn it off. And then it's just yeah. not fun for anybody anymore. <laughs> well, and remember, see, a movie is something you're putting on for them. Yeah. All right? Listening to a book together is something you're doing together. It gives you a common ground. It gives you something you can talk about instead of they're in their world and you're in your world. Awesome. So what, um, let's see, some words of encouragement then for, for parents who are just doing their best and can, could use some, 
words of wisdom about how to how to intentionally shape their family culture well i would say remember you're part of the solution i have so many parents who come to me so frustrated because they feel like they're the problem mm -hmm. and the world makes us feel that way yeah. the world makes us feel like any kid who need, has a problem well it's because of mom it's because of dad and we need to not buy into that yeah. we are part of the solution the problem is that we're trying to raise kids in a sewer. That's the problem. Yeah. And and it's tricky. But we're we're the lifeboat. And especially as we are communicating faith, as we're communicating our deepest feelings about God, that's the lifeboat. Now every TV show shows you that the the lunatic that's off murdering everybody is the religious fanatic but we don't buy into that this is the lifeboat and the titanic is sinking and we've just got to remember that we are the solution our families our bonds with those kids they're going to be there when all that peer group is gone those bonds and that desire for that kid to be his very best self that is going to be there when all the friends have vanished and all the parties are over and i just think we've got to keep that perspective and not let ourselves get talked into thinking oh the kids would be better off without me some guy wrote, wrote me an email the other day saying I, I might as well just divorce my wife and leave my family because the kids would be better off without me. And I thought, oh, yeah, just like everybody on the Titanic would be better off without a lifeboat, right? No, we're the lifeboat. So do you need to make changes and get your act together and try to be a better dad? Yeah. But since when is a drowning person in the middle of a freezing ocean better off without a lifeboat? It just doesn't work that way. We've got to remember that that's our role. And we feel a love and a connection to these kids that will never be matched. We have an investment in them that will never be matched by anyone else. So are our families perfect? No. Lifeboats can be pretty small and they can be crammed and everybody knows your business. But it's a lifeboat. And we've got to remember... Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Brad. I really appreciate you taking you. time to, to have well, this I, little discussion. I'm just so grateful that you're out there doing something to promote families, to build families, to strengthen families. This is what we need more of. And, and I am very proud of you for striking out and doing this. I hope you get millions of listeners <laughs> because, because I really think this is what's needed. We need to reinforce each other and strengthen families yeah. rather than running around redefining families yeah. and, and trying, to, trying to put blame on other people. Yeah. We just need to strengthen families and say, this can work. This really can work uh, if, uh, if we can just turn to God and 
be grateful for his help, his grace, and be thankful that we're not in this alone. Yeah. We're not in that lifeboat alone yeah. because we've got help. And he's the captain of that lifeboat. And with him, nothing's impossible. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much to Brad Wilcox. It was so cool to talk to him. Be sure to check out the show notes for this episode at homeandfamilyculture.com. This is episode number six for any resources and references mentioned during this discussion. Please again rate, subscribe, comment, share, listen on Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, or my website at homeandfamilyculture.com. And you can also find me on my Facebook page at Home and Family Culture Podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you.